Hello, my friends. I'm on location in Calgary. Dr. James Lindsay is in town giving a speech to a thousand people. The venue had to be changed three times. This is the fourth venue. The others were canceled under pressure. We'll give you clips from the man's speech and my thoughts before and after. You gotta get the video version. You can hear there's lots of people in the background here. I want you to see what I see. Go to revolutionplus.com, click subscribe to make sure you have the video, not just the audio. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, the battle of cancel culture in Calgary. It's October 4th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Oh, hi. I'm actually recording this on the night of October 3rd. I've flown to Calgary. It's going to be a late night, so we'll put this on TV on October 4th. It's just after 6 p.m. Calgary time. I'm at an event by Take Back Alberta, which is a conservative activist group. The keynote speaker is Dr. James Lindsay. You may know Dr. James Lindsay. He's one of my favorite guests. Whenever I have him on the show, it's a long-form interview. Once I get talking to him, I want to ask him a hundred questions. It's never shorter than half an hour. And I learned so much from him and I want to tell him so much and hear his thoughts. Anyways, he's coming to this venue. It's an hour before showtime. This venue holds close to 1000 people and there's already hundreds here. I understand it's a sold out crowd. It was a huge crowd last night too in Edmonton, Alberta. Take back Alberta. I don't know them well, but what I know about them, I like. It seems to me that one of their goals is to keep the United Conservative Party of Alberta truly conservative. You correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I wish we had the same sort of thing for every conservative party in this country. For a while there, the federal conservatives seemed like lukewarm reheats of the liberals. Andrew Scheer, and then even worse, Aaron O'Toole. That's one of the great gifts that the truckers gave us, spitting out Aaron O'Toole and helping to put in Pierre Polyev. Well, we've got to keep him conservative too. One of the things about Dr. James Lindsay is he's not just an economic conservative. In fact, for all I know, he's not. He's a cultural conservative. By cultural conservative, I mean he fights the battles that are truly important. By cultural issues, I mean the battle with cultural Marxism. That's a phrase I really didn't understand well until I got to know Dr. Lindsay. Cultural Marxism, well, you know what Marxism is? It's class warfare, the worker, the proletariat versus the capitalist. But you see, now that we're all sort of middle class and that everyone today has a wealth level that a century ago only the elites would have, to keep the battle, there's a new form of Marxism. There's gender Marxism. First it was radical feminism, but now there's transgender Marxism. So imagine the same class warfare, but instead of economic classes fighting against each other, there's genders, women, fighting against men, and now queer people fighting against hetero people. 
That's the kind of cultural Marxism he fights. It's also deployed on race issues. Instead of fighting for racial harmony, cultural Marxism pits races against each other, demonizes some races, promotes other races are superior. It's really a mirror image of old-fashioned racism, but this time it's flipped around. This is a deliberate strategy to wobble and destabilize our society. That's the battle that Dr. James Lindsay talks about, which is why I think he's so dis despised by the left. I really don't think the left cares much what the tax rate is. Is the GSD this many percent or that many percent? Is the exemption level this? I just don't even think they care. I think the real battles for the left are these cultural issues. Recently, the transgenderism in schools has been a fever pitch issue. And finally, normal parents of all races have stood up. I don't know if you remember not long ago, the Million March for Kids. That was an enormous pendulum swinging back against cultural Marxism targeting children with sexualized teaching in schools. That's the kind of thing that Dr. James Lindsay talks about. And because he's a PhD, because he's a published author, because he's American and has an American-sized, in fact, an international audience, he is a powerful and eloquent speaker. You know that from what he says on my show. And they try and block him. It's sort of like Dr. Jordan Peterson, who I would think is probably the leading cultural commentator in the English language. He's of such a level now that he sells out stadiums, literally stadiums. His book has got to, you know, um, Rules for Life has got to be the, one of the most best-selling non-fiction books in the last generation in Canada, translated into many languages. He's got a very popular podcast. He's starting conferences. He's even starting a university. That's what happens when a, culture, a clear and eloquent and smart cultural leader of the right manages to take off. They tried to crush Dr. Peterson when he was starting out. Do you remember this dramatic scene outside the University of Toronto when radicals, Antifa-style radicals, tried to silence him? This is when they tried to kill, metaphorically speaking, Dr. Peterson, and they failed, and look at him now. So there's a reason I'm defending freedom of speech. And the reason for that is quite straightforward. The reason I'm defending freedom of speech is that's why people get their opinions, settle their opinions in a civil society. And if we can do that, Now here's what's happened with Bill C-16 and the surrounding legislation. Free speech is the mechanism by which we keep our society functioning. Woo! It's, it's in the consequence of free speech and the ability to speak. People can put their finger on problems, articulate what those problems are, solve them, and come to a consensus. And we risk losing that. Well, that's what they don't want to happen to other cultural leaders on the right, like Dr. James Lindsay. And that's why they've been blackballing him and forcing venues to cancel. I'm delighted that the Astoria Banquet Hall here in Calgary is what I think is the fourth 
uh, venue for his Calgary speech. And and that that's terrifying to me, is that three other venues, the managers were so terrorized that they canceled. In fact, they had a phone tree, literally phoning people, including myself, just a couple of hours ago to let us know where this venue was. They didn't even want to post it anywhere, lest it be shared. I should say, when I walked up to the building, there was an enormous security presence. I don't know if police are here, because frankly, it's been my personal experience, the police in Canada generally don't care if conservatives are blacklisted, if conservative events are threatened. I say that because uh, I've seen it with my own eyes. When uh, my own book launch was canceled because of terrorizing threats, the police did nothing. When uh, Megan Murphy, the feminist activist, has event after event canceled, the police do nothing. And I'm not saying they're canceled because of political persuasion. They're canceled by threats of violence. Let me put the shoe on the other foot. If Dr. James Lindsay was a Muslim speaker in a mosque, was a drag queen story hour storybook reader, or was uh, a Black Lives Matter speaker, or was an abortion rights speaker, do you think for a second the police would take it lightly if there were violent threats to cancel their functions? You don't have to guess. Here in Calgary, their hardcore left-wing mayor and city council actually passed a bylaw that if anyone within 100 meters of a drag queen story hour protests even peacefully, even peacefully, within 100 meters, they are arrested, and we know that because that's exactly what happened to Pastor Derek Reimer. Take a look at what they did to him. And just FYI, in that video clip, the man being roughed up was Pastor Derek Reimer. Yet he was the one who was charged because he was within 100 meters of a drag queen story hour. That kind of police errand running for far left, act, far left activists is shocking to me, but it's happening even here in Calgary, allegedly the most conservative in, uh, city in Canada. Well, let me look at my watch. It is now uh, around 6.30 and the crowd continues to come in it looks like it's filling up quite nicely. I think it's going to be standing room only. And there must be at least 20 security outside. I'm going to sit down. We're going to watch the evening's event. We're going to film some of it for you, too, so you can hear what's so scary from Dr. Lindsay. And then afterwards, if the man still has energy, and I'm sure he will, we'll have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. So we'll catch up later in the night. contagion there is a maoist pressure campaign to push our children into revolutionary identities designed to oppose the society they live in and under this banner i just learned yesterday to very great upset in a cross-cultural canadian environment 
that the Starbucks Canada line is that you can fly the Black Lives Matter flag, you can fly the Pride flag, you can fly the Progress flag, but you will not fly the Canadian flag because it's a hate symbol. It's the same game. The same game. We're not building now a red guard. They're building two different colors. They're building a green guard on the envi environmental stuff. They're scaring the crap out of the kids with. Existential dread. Constantly thinking the world's gonna end in five years or 12 years again. Are we asking the idiot Greta or the idiot AOC? <laughs> the green guard is coming. The green guard is being mobilized actively by Biden in the United States. It's being urged to be angry and active by Obama and social media posts in the United States. The green guard is coming. But there's also the Rainbow Guard. And the Rainbow Guard is why I got canceled from so many events here in, in, in Alberta, probably from activists who live in British Columbia. And they got on the phone. And they want your kids to join the Rainbow Guards. Let me tell you the last little piece about Mao, and I'll tell you about what they do in education more specifically. So you can just be even more happy about how they run things. And I'll give you some hope, believe it or not. So the last thing about Mao was that Mao deployed the Red Guard. So I told you before he gave this speech, he built it all up, it's power in the 50s. In 1958, he launched this thing called the Great Leap Forward, killed 100 million people, whoops, destroyed the economy, whoops, so bad that they kicked him out of office. The dictator of a communist country, they kicked him out of office. That bad. So it was Mao like, oh, I'm so ashamed, I messed up bad, humility. Yeah, in public, that's what he said, then he went and he plotted his revenge. In 1962, they kicked him out. In 1966, he took all those kids he'd been radicalizing in the schools for 15 years, and he unleashed them on the public, and that was his red guard. That was those kids that were brought into being revolutionary leaders under his pressure pump of identity politics, snitch culture, turning in your parents, smashing the four olds, devastating the society that you live in, being op opposed to you know all of the things that are considered old, I guess, or legitimate, normal, and dominant in society. And he unleashed them, and millions died. Millions were tormented. So much of traditional Chinese culture was obliterated for no good reason, down to pictures people had of their family and their homes, because those are old. And then, in 1967, in the fall of 1967, the Red Guard marched on the presidential palace, and Mao's successor, Liu Xiaoqi, the dictator of the CCP in China got hauled out and humiliated and yelled at and the, waving the red book and chanting about Mao. They embarrassed him, they beat him. And he said, am I not a citizen? Can I not speak? He's the president of the CCP. He's chairman. Am I not a citizen? Can I not speak? And they said, no. And they made him hold his head in shame and they yelled at him and they embarrassed him for hours and they dragged him off to go die in the countryside a few months later. Mao resumed power, and that was the fall of 1967, and by the beginning of 1968, Mao said that the Red Guard had become too left, too radical, and he unleashed the People's Liberation Army on it and sent them off to die in the countryside too. The fate of our Rainbow Guard radicalized kids is not good. If they win, they lose. That's their best case scenario. They are being used. The entire religious philosophy is based off of a predecessor of Marx named Hegel. And Hegel had a saying that history uses people 
then discards them. So why is it that feminism can't stop men from getting in women's spaces if they just put on some lipstick and they go right in the locker room? Because history used feminists and now has discarded them, that's why. It's the same philosophy, the same idea. And these poor kids that are getting radicalized and taught to destroy their countries, destroy their families, destroy property, destroy their faiths, destroy themselves psychologically, emotionally, and physically, will be disposed of when their time comes to. Because what Mao said is that different things are needed in different phases of the revolution. In the period where we were consolidating power, we needed people to destabilize the existing Kuomintang regime. In the phase where now we are building socialism, we don't need people who destabilize. The destabilizers that they break will be destroyed because they're useless and dangerous to their next project. That is the horror of communism. That is the horror of communism that they're visiting on our kids in the name of inclusion and something about wanting to keep them from committing suicide or whatever horrible emotional blackmail they throw at you to get you to go along with it. So how in the world are they doing this in the schools? Because this is really about the kids. How in the world are they doing this in the schools? If you don't know how they're doing this, you can't stop it. And the fundamental reality is that it's a magic trick. And when you can, this is why you should be hopeful. When you can see the magic trick, if I did a card trick up here and pulled the Queen of Hearts out, you know, out of my ear or something, and you're like, wow, he's a magician. And then I showed you about how I had it, you know, tucked under my collar right here, and you're like, oh, that's really not that cool. The magic loses all of its magic, literally, when you know how it's done. Well, that's what happens here. And what they've done is they've done a magic trick to steal education. What they've done is they're word games. What they've done is some bait and switch. So, for example, They've stolen the idea of education. What is the idea of education? We're gonna educate students so that they grow up and that they're functional members of society, right? No, 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 they don't want that. Teaching kids to be functional members of society who can do things like read and do math and know history creates what they call the problem of reproduction. It creates children who grew up to reproduce the society that they already live in, which is oppressive, of course. You have to overcome that. Instead, what they said is the purpose of a literacy lesson, this is Paulo Freire, the Brazilian Marxist who all of North American education is now based off of, what they said is that a literacy lesson is actually used specifically to generate political literacy. True literacy isn't being able to read the word, it's being able to read the world. Isn't that punny? Doesn't it just make you want to It does. It's really about learning to read the context of your life. It's culturally relevant education is the updated terminology. The idea of education is to install radicalization, just like with Mao, so that they can create a red guard and a green guard and a rainbow guard and whatever color guard they need eventually to unleash on the population, to destabilize the population, to get a revolution. The idea of education was stolen by transforming it into political literacy right underneath our noses. The way they did this partly is that they stole the means of education. How do we educate? How do we educate? Well, we give people lessons, we show them how to work through the problems or understand the material, and then we send them off to practice their own examples. Right? That's how we educate. I was an educator, that's actually the method of, method of educating. It's not that complicated. What Paulo Freire, that Brazilian Marxist who's taken over all of our educational thought in the West, said is that the academic lesson, the literacy lesson, is a mediator to political knowledge. 
It is a mediator to a political conversation to, since we're talking about this being a cult, to conscientize, to awaken, to woke the students up. And here's how it works. Math problem. Second grade, you guys call it like grade two or something, I don't know. I'm working on my metric still. Johnny is riding in the car with his mom and dad on the way to an amusement park. I'll do this in metric for you, watch. The amusement park is 50 kilometers away. Kilometers away. They've driven 30 kilometers. I don't think you guys say that word right. How much further do they have to go? Now, if you saw that in your kid's homework, would you object? <laughs> yes. No, nobody's gonna object to this problem unless they know the trick. But this is not that problem, it's every problem. This actually came from a teacher training in Indiana, the teacher who exposed it got fired. And she said that they, by the end of this training, had learned to do this with every possible lesson. So here's what you do. The kids are gonna think that's boring. Nobody wants to do math. Nobody wants to learn how to extract the subtraction problem from the paragraph, solve the subtraction problem, and then report back in words that they have 20 kilometers left to go. Nobody wants to do that. That's not engaging. It's to be culturally relevant. Hey kids, who's ever been to an amusement park? Raise your hand. Now, when you have a situation where some people have and some people have not, the sociological term for that is a stratified population. Marxism, guess what it is? It's a conflict theory on stratified populations. So what they do is they get the kids, they're seven years old, they're seven. Has every seven-year-old been to an amusement park? No. So some kids raise their hand and some kids don't. The teachers are told to take advantage of the opportunity. Wow, guys, some of you have, some of you haven't. What are some reasons why some people get to go to an amusement park and some people wouldn't? What's the reason for this difference? Now you're not talking about math, you're talking about difference. You're not even getting engaged in, oh, it's fun, who's ever been? Okay, let's solve the problem. No, it's not about engagement. Now you're talking about the difference in the room. The second you make it about the difference in the room, you're having a political conversation. And they're told to keep going till somebody, some kid, kids say some wild stuff, till some kid, some seven-year-old raises his hand and says, not everybody can afford it. And now you get to say, wow, you're right. What are some ways we can make that more fair? So everybody can go. Rich people could pay for it, make it free, make the government pay for it, blah, blah, blah. And you had a conversation with the, with the kids instead of doing math about socialism. Maybe it's a racial demographic split and how the kids raise their hand. Wow, I see a lot more of the white kids raise their hand. What are, what are some racial reasons you know, behind, what, why, is, why do you think that's happening? And you get the CRT conversation going. They're trying to keep the kids raising their hand sometimes until somebody volunteers something like, my parents won't let me go. And now you get to have a conversation if it's fair that some parents get to say yes and some parents say no. Shouldn't the schools make decisions like that for the kids? Wouldn't that be more fair, guys? These are seven-year-olds. They're turning them against you. And that's what Paula Frady called a generative theme. Amusement park doesn't seem that scary, and it doesn't matter what sentence they give. You can always do this with something. The generative theme generates a political conversation. Amusement park is one generative theme. Turn out that word problem had three of them. If you don't like that, you can use mom and dad. Do all families have a mom and dad? You got a feminist and a sexuality conversation waiting right around the corner. And is it really a good idea, guys? Remember when we talked about air pollution and science? Is it really a good idea to be driving a car just to go have fun for the day? One family? And now you've got your environmental green guard conversation. And that is how they steal the mechanism of education. 
They turn the academic lesson into an excuse to have conversations about politics behind your back. You won't see it in the curriculum. You won't see it in the book. If you can even get a hold of the book, it's probably in their laptop. You won't see it in their homework. You would actually have to see the teacher doing it, and guess what? You show up that day, they're not going to do that. They're going to hide it from you like they hide so many other things from you because they think that they have a divine right to initiate your children into their cult. It's a packed evening. There are still 100 people who want to talk to the keynote speaker. I learned a lot. Dr. James Lindsay, pleasure to meet you in person. You've been on the show a few times. Yeah. We're going to have some excerpts from your speech, but tell me about the trip itself. What surprised you about Canada? The energy. It's There's so much more energy in Canada to fight back against woke, to fight back against tyranny than I, I didn't expect to see it. I'll just tell you the truth. I thought it was going to be very passive. I thought I didn't think it was going to be anything like this. I saw Sikhs, Muslims, Christians, atheists, people of every race coming together to say, no, no more. We're going to protect our kids. We're not having tyranny. We're going to start in Alberta. We're going to take back Canada. And I'm going to, I tell you, I'm going to go home to the United States and I'm going to shame Americans for not having energy that these Canadians have. What do you make about the uh, attempts to terrorize venues? I think this was like the fourth venue that your host went through. What do you have to say about that? I mean, it almost didn't happen. Well, that's true. It almost didn't happen. If it weren't for uh, up in Edmonton, the Sikhs, and if it weren't for the Muslims down here in Calgary, we wouldn't have got it pulled together. We had venue cancel, venue cancel. It's the same games. But, you know, I you see the you see the turnout a thousand more than a thousand people turned out tonight more than 800 in edmonton you know the people are we're, we're gonna we're gonna stop this crap they're not gonna keep shutting things down people are getting tired of it people are rolling their eyes the guy at the ran the venue up in uh, edmonton last night was showing me some of the messages and we're just laughing about him it's like it's just becoming this tedious joke of things that the stupid activists do and that that's the coming from the states where this spell has broken that's the first step and then next they call and people are saying like, no, never mind, we don't care. And so Canada, at least Alberta, is on its way. I want to let you get back to folks because a lot of people have been waiting in line to say hi to you. But I just got a couple more quick questions to compare your American experience with Canada. In what ways is the crisis worse here or there? Would you say that America is further down the path than we are? Because Canadians, I think, are generally more socialist and more woke or am I wrong? No, I think that the general people here are, are, are frankly too polite, at least as far as this goes. I'm, I, you know, I think it's a virtue to be polite and it's always something that's been great when I meet Canadians, but you can't let people roll you over. And um, that's been a problem. So the Canadians are more woke. There seems to be more kind of ground level of everyday person support for the manipulations around the LGBTQ, you know, perpetration that's going on in our society. The states were getting tired of it, you know, outside of maybe the West Coast. Um, so that's different. We are further down the path. And I, I think it's a zombie ideology is what I say is it died. But all the institutions are still doing it, so it's still going, right? So it's dead, but it's still moving like a zombie. And that we're a little further along with. I think Americans are more tired of the ideology. But like I said, the energy here in Alberta has really blown me away. So I would love to see Canada catch up. And I think it will. Alberta is the, probably the most rebellious, reform-minded place in the country. It would be interesting to see a reaction to Toronto or Vancouver. Last question for you, then I'll let you get back to your Canadian fan base. Yeah. 
in terms of the fight back, I feel like in America, there are more dedicated parents who are campaigning. Am I wrong on that? I feel like um, there's, a, there's a spirit in America of revolution. We're going to take back our school boards. We heard a little bit of that by the, the leader of Take Back Alberta. How do you compare the counter-revolution in the two countries? Like I said, I think we're a couple of years further down the road than you guys are, but I think it's coming here. I think the energy's coming. They cross the uncrossable line, they mess with our kids. We've heard from Sikhs, we've heard from Muslims, we've heard from Christians, we've heard from atheists, we've heard from all kinds of people. You don't mess with our kids. A Sikh guy told me yesterday up in Edmonton, he said, you know, if you take away our kids, that's everything. That's the last thing, then there's nothing left. And that's the attitude these people have. So it is further along in America. There are hundreds of thousands of parents engaged across the, the, the states. But that's happening here. It's taking a slightly different shape here, but that's fine. And the parents' organizations, I know that, you know, Take Back Alberta is going to be interested in talking with those in the states, sharing information, sharing ideas, sharing, uh, you know, strategies. And so I think there's going to be a real collaborative effort where we're going to get, get our countries back. Would you consider coming back to Canada, maybe other cities? I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. I know that there are people who want me in Ottawa, goodness. I know there are people who are trying to get me to, to Vancouver or the greater area. The cancellation game is a little stronger even there. But yeah, I would love to come back up north. Um, like I said in the talk, it's a beauty way to go. I've heard, I've heard the song. I know all that. I'd love to get back up here. It's been fun. Great to meet you in person. Wow. Thanks. My pleasure. Right on there you have it, James Lindsay. We'll let you get back to your fans. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, great to chat with him in person. You know, I had hoped to have a longer chit-chat with him, but there's no way I'm going to pull him away from his adoring fans. I should tell you, it's 10.06 p.m., and there's probably still... 100 people in the room. I think this was the first time they heard a scholarly expert unpack the ideology. What does it mean to have critical race theory? What does it mean to have gender theory, queer theory? Where did it come from? Why is, does, how does it work? What language does it use? I think it's been an eye opener for people here, especially those who hadn't encountered Dr. James Lindsay before. If you if you watch the Ezra Levant show, as I know you do, we've probably interviewed him a half dozen times, so it wouldn't be news to you. But for a thousand people here who I think are going to go and be repeaters now of the information, after the keynote speaker spoke, the head of Take Back Alberta talked about mobilizing parents to take over school boards. And they mentioned that they had accomplished that with one library board. And you might say, library board, that sounds super boring. Well, absolutely it's super boring, except for it has been radicalized and they want you to think it's super boring because that's where a lot of these radical cultural Marxist books are coming in through the libraries. It's, you know, the thing about conservatives, I think, is that we like to just assume things are okay. We don't need to be busybodies poking into libraries and school boards. We assume someone's watching things, but it that's a false assumption. That's where the radicals have gone. Many tyrants say, give me a child at the age of six or seven, give me him for five years and I'll have him forever. There's many variations on that theme, but it is true. I mean, the Jesuits said it, tyrants say it. And I think that's why they're after our kids because as we heard so eloquently from Dr. Lindsay, the children, I mean, look at, look at the Red Guard, Mao, use the children, weaponize the children for tyranny. That's what Greta Thunberg is doing. 
she's in her 20s now, but she looks like a child, and there's a reason for that. Anyways, I'm glad I came out to Calgary. I'd never met uh, James Lindsay in person before, but actually the main payoff for me was seeing a thousand people come to an event late at night, but not just that. The venue for this event was kept secret until hours before when everyone got a phone call. They must have had a large phone tree, so to speak, 10 people calling, 10 people calling, 10 people, or something like that. But to have this place packed and to stand up to the cancel culture, deplatforming bullies is sort of amazing. I'm glad I was here in Calgary. Uh, James said he gave a different speech in Edmonton last night. I would have liked to have heard that one too. What do you think of Dr. James Lindsay? What do you think of the fact that four venues were needed? The first three canceling under pressure. Send me an email with your thoughts to Ezra at rebelnews.com. That's it for me here for tonight. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us in Calgary at our Rebel headquarters in Toronto and around the world, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Mm -hmm.